Welcome to the Clovercrest Baptist Church podcast. For more information about Clovercrest Baptist Church, go to clovercrest.com.au. I wonder if you've come across the idea of mission drift. So what mission drift is, it's described as an inauthentic shift from a firm's initial focus or to diverge from its core values. The idea that when an organisation over time shifts away from its initial focus and values and ends up in a different place to where it kind of thought it would be from the origin. An example of this is actually Harvard University, a great university. But when Harvard was founded, the founders actually intended that the goal was at the end of education that people would know God and Jesus Christ. Now, Harvard is a wonderful university, but I would dare suggest that that gospel focus has actually been replaced with an academic focus, and that's a mission drift. Another example is a man by the name of George Williams, who in 1844, he decided he wanted to start an outreach to the men on the streets of London that didn't yet know Jesus. And so he started the Young Men's Christian Association, which became known as the YMCA. Now, the YMCA was a gospel movement trying to help people come to know Jesus. If I go to the YMCA today, pretty much that would be for kind of some sort of sporting activity. You wouldn't really see me there. You'd see Mike, not me. The YMCA has had a bit of a mission drift in time. Or maybe you can think of a a group or an organisation, something you have been part of that, although you started out in one direction, over time values and things have shifted and you find yourself not where you once thought you would be. Now, I want you to hear that innovation and change are really good. In fact, one of our five vision priorities is innovate. We love innovation and changing. However, if change means that we move away from our core values and our beliefs of what we hold to, then it's actually a mission drift and it's not what we're after. So how do we as the church stay on mission and avoid mission drift? Well, we need to know our mission and then we need to regularly check in to make sure we're on track. Now, here at Clovey, we know our mission. We know what it is. It's loving God, loving people and making disciples of Jesus together. That is our mission. That's what we exist to do. So we need to know that. And our five vision priorities that we spent this time in the last five weeks looking at are really the the things that we're committing to as the people of God to go deeper in and put time and energy and effort and resources into. And as we follow those five vision priorities, our hope and dream is that we stay on mission and we do all that God has for us. But we need to be aware that we've got to stay on mission and avoid mission drift. And so to avoid mission drift, we need to know our mission and keep regularly in check. And that's where this new series comes in. So today we're actually starting a new series in the book of Titus. And this book is a great opportunity for us to sit in and learn information and ideas and helps on how to stay on mission. This book of Titus is going to help us know what does it mean to stay true, hold to our true north and not end up drifting away, but stay on to everything God has for us. And I love this book right from the outset. Paul makes it clear that he knows who is the one true God. 
he actually makes it really clear that he holds on to God as truth. Verse 2 says, In the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. I love this. Paul makes it really clear. God, he doesn't lie. He keeps his promises. He's the faithful one. And Paul's saying he is the true north. And I wonder before we even delve into the Titus and the how to stay on mission, I wonder today, is God your true north? Is God your true north? I actually believe whether we're online today or in the room, that's a question we need to ask. Is God our true north? Because I wonder if there's some, if you were honest today, that maybe rather than holding true and looking to God and following him, you found yourself drifting. You found yourself focusing on other things, maybe looking to other things. But if we're going to live the life God has for us and everything in fullness, God is the one true north. We can't get past that. He is the one to hold on to. So I want to encourage us today, if we find yourself in a position where, if you're honest, maybe God isn't your true north, what would it look like to reorientate yourself back to him? Because the invitation is always there. It is never too late to reorientate ourselves back to him, to say, yes, I want to follow you as my true north. I think that's a really significant question in this series for us to ask. Is God our true north? I want to just pray, actually, before we go further. Lord God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are the one true God. And I would ask, wherever we are today, that you would reveal to us if we've actually shifted off and we're not holding to you as the true north. Maybe we're yet to choose to follow you, Lord. I pray today you would speak to us in power. Show us what it looks like to reorientate ourselves to you as our one true north. In the name we pray, amen. So what's in the book of Titus? What's it all about? Well, it's a book, it's a letter written by Paul to Titus. And Titus was a convert from the Gentiles. And he was in the island of Crete, which is in the Mediterranean. And Paul writes this letter to Titus. And verse 5 is a great help as to why the letter was written. Paul says, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order, or other versions say straighten out, what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So Paul's saying to Titus, look, here's the deal. I need you to straighten out the churches in Crete. I need you to make sure they're on track, that they're not going to end up with mission drift. They're going to stay on track. And what Paul talks about is about living a holy life, avoiding false teachings, and ask him to get some leaders together so as the church, they can stay true and avoid mission drift. Now, I recognize that we are not Paul or Titus. We are not the church in Crete but we are the continuation of God's church. We are absolutely the continuation of God's church. And if God is going to speak to us, we need to have a posture where we say we're going to listen. So I actually believe if we want to see our vision that we have for Clovey to be able to see all people come to know Jesus, we need to come back to the word and listen and say, what God do you have to teach us through this book today? Now, as we start in chapter 1, verse 5, there's a title that says, Appointing Elders. And yes, this section is very much about elders and leaders, people in authority. But it's actually more than that. It does align with some of the teachings we see in 1 Timothy, chapter 3. So there's similarities. It really does speak to people in leadership. But I want you to hear, if you're not in a formal leadership position, this is not your chance to check out. 
it is actually really appropriate and significant for all of us. Because while we might not be in a formal leadership position, it's actually about when we are in a place where people can see us, when we're in the public eye. I actually believe all of us are in the public eye in some shape or form. Whether that's in your family, whether your spouse, your kids are watching you, whether in your neighbourhood, people are watching how we live our lives, whether it be in our workplace, school, uni, whatever it looks like, we are in the public eye. And now more than ever in a post-Christian world, we are in the public eye. When we say yes to Jesus, people are looking to how we live our lives. So in actual fact... This is written to every single one of us who says yes to Jesus and lives a life in the public eye. In fact, Walter Leafield states these characteristics are not intended to be unique to elders. For in one form or another, they describe the ideal character of all Christian men and women. It's for all of us. There's this opportunity and invitation for all of us to lean in and listen and respond. So let me read from chapter 1, starting in verse 5. It says, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Okay, I've got to be really honest with you here. When I read this passage and thought as a pastor and leader in this place, I was like, whoa, that is too hard. Seriously, the bar is set up here, and I'm not going to... I'm not going to manage that. You know, this call to live a blameless life, one where my children are not wild and disobedient, one where I have self-control, and all I thought was, I am so glad you don't live with me. Let me tell you, the bar is high, yeah? But we need to hear that this is actually within the bigger story of God. This is part of God's biggest story. We have a God who loves us, who forgives us, who is for us, who gives me second chances. And I love that. This call that we have on our lives sits side by side with all the other verses in Scripture. Things like Ephesians 2 that says, For it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We cannot attain perfection. Only God is perfect. And I am so grateful that he has enough grace and forgiveness for me every day. Amen? Amen. We need him. So yes, we are not expected to be perfect. However, he does call us to more. He calls us to so much more. He calls us to live a life where we stand out for the right things. And we live a life around what? matters most. You see, we live in a tension where our God loves and embraces us and welcomes us and at the same time wants so much more for us. He wants to change us and enable us to become more like him because the reality is there's more. 
In fact, when we say yes to him, there is a different standard. When we say yes to following him as our Lord, he expects us to continue to follow him and worship him and want to know more and be transformed by him because people are watching. And while we sit in that tension of being loved, there's more. And I want the more. I want to learn more and know more and live the life that he's called me for. But what I want us to hear is what Paul is writing. It's not a a list we have to tick off. But I want us to understand the heart behind what Paul says. Because if we listen to what Paul's writing, it really boils down to two things. What we love and how we live. What we love and how we live. See, Paul calls us to love. He calls us firstly to love God. To love him and worship him and love the things that he loves. And then secondly, as we read, we see that he calls us to love our spouse. If we're in a married relationship, Paul says, actually, you need to love your spouse in the way you speak of them and the way you speak to them and how we honor them to love our spouse and fight for our marriages. And then he calls us to love our kids, to love our families, to love our children enough that we'll invest time and effort and energy in a framework that helps them to learn and grow and come to know Jesus, give them opportunity to learn and grow in a healthy home. Now, it's important not to get stuck on some of the words because when it says a leader needs to have one whose children believe, you could get thinking, well, I can't control my child's decision of faith. It's not actually saying they have to be a Christian. In fact, the word believe is better translated faithful or reliable. It's our role as the parents to teach our children how to be respectful and reliable. It's our role to set up a framework which teaches them about Jesus. We can't control their decisions. We can pray for them. But what we can do by loving them enough is put in time and effort and energy for our families. There's a call to love our families. And then there's a call to love others, to love others enough that we open our homes, we welcome people into our homes, our lives, to our dinner tables, and we say we love people. We're called to love. And then this flows out in how we live. We're called to live a life that is not overbearing, that is not quick-tempered. It's without drunkenness, without violence, and without dishonest gain. Instead, to live a life of self-control that is holy and disciplined. Paul is really saying that with our interactions with people, with our passions, and with our possessions, we need to live a life of integrity. We need to live a life that is above reproach, that is actually of good character and good choices. This is what Paul is calling us to. What does it look like to live a life of integrity in how we do our day-to-day life? And what's interesting is this idea that when we live a life of integrity, it's an integrated life. Not a compartmentalized life where we think, well, you know, I'm doing really well, I'm looking the part on Sundays. And at my Bible study, I contribute really well. And then I'm praying here. We don't actually get to compartmentalize our faith. Paul is saying that in what you love and how you live, it's going to flow out in everything we do, that we honor him. An integrated life, day in, day out, not compartmentalized. So the really significant question for all of us today is, what do we love and how do we live? What do we love and how do we live? 
If you're honest with yourself today, are you loving the things that God is calling you to? Or are you finding that your love has drifted, maybe to things he's not asking you to love? And how do we live? Are we living a life that actually reflects what we love? Or is there sort of conflict there? Because if we say we love our family, others, God, are we living a life that actually displays it? That is the call that Paul has for us. And a risk can be, as I said, we get this list and we tick it off and we think, yep, I've done that one, I've done that one, and become quite legalistic. And in actual fact, Paul speaks against this later on in Titus. He challenges the people in Crete because they'd become legalistic in their faith, and that had caused the mission drift. Let me read from verse 10. It says, For there are many rebellious people, full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they're disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach. And that for the sake of dishonest gain, one of Crete's own prophets has said it. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This saying is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for doing anything good. See, Paul says in verse 12, the people of Crete, they're liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. What a description. He explains that they've been inconsistent with how they've been teaching the faith. They've allowed false truths to creep in and legalism around circumcision being required for salvation. And what had happened was there was division in families. There was division going on because this legalism had caused mission drift. And then Paul explains in verses 13 to 15 that they actually need correction. And part of what Titus was to do was make sure that they knew the truth and could live in the truth. And that meant for Titus calling out the false teaching, straightening things out in the community of Crete. I wonder for us what that might mean for us today. I wonder if there's anything that we need straightening out. I wonder if we're honest, where do we need to check in? Where do we actually need to have a soft heart and allow God to correct us? What are the false truths we've allowed to seep into our faith where actually we need to be straightened out and get back to the true north again? I wonder, for the people of Crete, it was legalism. I wonder if we can find ourselves trapped in legalism, this idea that I tick the box, I'm doing the right thing, I look the part but maybe not living the life. Or maybe it's not legalism, but what are the other false truths we've allowed to seep into our faith? Maybe it's individualism. This idea that, look, I've, I've got my faith and I'm okay and I don't need others because I'm just walking it on my own. But actually, that is not what God calls us to. God doesn't call us to a life of isolation. He calls us to do life, whether we're in the room or online, to be in community in some way, shape, or form. I wonder what's maybe another false truth you've signed up for, maybe relativism, the idea that, well, I've got my truth, you've got your truth. It's all relative, but actually God is the one true God. He is truth. 
Let's not allow that false truth to come into who we are and what we stand for. Or maybe it's a false truth of materialism where you find yourself looking to possessions and experiences to fill that gap, to make you feel content and live life in such a way that you're looking to possessions and experiences. And that's a lie. That's a false truth that that'll actually bring contentment. We need to get back, maybe get straightened out, get back to the true north and know, is there anywhere today that we need to be straightened out? What is God saying to us? How are we going to respond? Now, Paul finishes this chapter with such a powerful challenge. In verse 16, he says, They claim to know God, but by their actions deny him. They claim to know God, but by their actions deny him. I wonder if that could be said of any of us, that we claim to know God, but by our actions we deny him. I would hate for that to be said about us. Can we see how significant, how important it is, the the life we live, the actions we choose, the character we have, it speaks volumes. We are called to live a life of integrity. Are our actions going to honour God or deny him? It's worth considering. Because, you know, as an organisation drifts, as they enter mission drift, very rarely is an organisation heading and then it's a sharp right-hand turn. It's a little decision after another one, one after another, little bit, step at a time, and they end up in a different place. Dr. Wes Stafford, who's the former president and CEO for Compassion International, says, I can think of many Christian organisations that have lost their spiritual commitment. I can't think of one secular organisation that found its way to a Christian commitment. Any leader who inherits a strong Christian commitment must shepherd the culture and steward that commitment. See, the problem occurs in organisation when they stop shepherding and stewarding and investing in that Christian commitment. But just little decision at a time, just overlook that thing. Oh, that won't matter. Stay silent on an issue that matters. And then eventually, mission drift occurs. You know, the same risk is for our faith. That little bit at a time decisions we make to let that go, to overlook that, to not speak up when it matters, and we start to drift. It said, the standard you walk past is the standard you accept. What standard are we going to accept? Little decision after little decision is what causes the drift. And eventually, if that happens in our Christian faith, we no longer look like the people of God we're called to. It's a challenge and an opportunity for us to consider what we love and how we live. You know, I can remember back in the day, 19-year-old me, I was here as a young adult. I grew up in this community. And I can remember it was our young adult life group up in the West Lounge up there many years ago. And I remember our leader saying to our life group, how are you going to make sure that you hang on to your faith? How are you going to make sure that you don't drift and fall away? Because our leader was speaking to us about the fact that the the reality of the stats, a number of us would fall away from our faith. In fact, if we look at the research now in uh, 2019, Barna Research will say that 64% of young people will fall away from the church. And so my leader at age 19, she said to me, how are you going to make sure you don't become a stat? 
How are you going to make sure you don't drift away? And so we sat there as a life group and we mused. We were like, well, we'll read the Bible and we'll, we'll come to church and we'll pray. And I love what our leader said to us. She said, if you're going to make sure that you stay on track and that you hold to the true north and you don't drift, you need a daily encounter with Jesus. You need a daily encounter with Jesus. A daily encounter with the living king is what keeps us in check. Because when we have a daily encounter with him, we're listening, we're responding. We give him opportunity to straighten us out along the way. We're checking in day after day after day with the living king and experiencing him. That is going to help us stay holding on to the true north. That will stop us drifting away. Walter Leefield says, Spirituality is not to be measured in terms of Bible knowledge, pious prayers, or attendance at religious gatherings. Spirituality is a matter of the extent to which the Holy Spirit is motivating, empowering, and changing our lives. The choice is ours to consider, are we going to have a daily encounter with God and allow His Spirit to empower and equip and change us? Because when we meet Him every day, that's when we stay with him, falling in love with him. We stay on track. The opportunity is there for each and every one of us. A daily encounter with the living King. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank